Welcome back to Rogue Fun, a podcast story. The podcast all about Rogue One. I'm Alice White. (laughs) And I'm Buddy Duquesne. And uh, we are so pleased to welcome a very special guest. Uh, He is the author of the brand new Guardians of the Wills, the manga, uh, just released this week. Uh, Welcome. Please give your your applause to uh, John Sway, who is here with us. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Thank you so much, John, for joining us. So happy to have you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, John, again, thank you for being on the show. And uh, let me just say, Guardians of the Wills, the manga, has been one of my favorite Star Wars reading experiences ever. Uh, it was a blast. And getting a, getting to spend more time with Baze and Chirrut was just, like, the coolest thing. I miss those guys. Um, and, you know, the main thing we know about them is how they meet their untimely demise at the end of Rogue One and to be able to spend time with them kind of before all of that happens and when they're slightly younger and slightly different characters uh, was fascinating. So uh, congratulations. This is an amazing manga. Well, thank you. Um, you know, I, I had a lot of Good material to work with is adapted off of Greg Rucka's original novel, um, and um, I I was a big fan of the movie, um, as particularly Baze and Chirrut as characters. Um, and so when when Viz approached me and, and asked me if I'd be interested, it was kind of a no brainer for me. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm totally down to to do this. So um, I I feel very fortunate that I got a chance to to do this adaptation. That's awesome. Yeah, that kind of goes with my my first question was to be how do you get into working with Star Wars? Do you have do you work with Viz regularly and they approached you specifically or um, how does this happen for you? Um, No, this is actually the first project I've done with Viz. Um, I was approached by them. um, My editor on the project name is uh, Fawn Lau um, and she reached out to me, I think, when I was I think I was in New York at New York Comic Con, um, and she just happened to like just uh, send me an email, be like, "Hey, you know, um, my name's Fawn. I, I work for Viz. Love to talk to you about something." You know, so <laughs> we, uh, so it was all hush hush. You know, I went to this kind of this event and kind of chatted a little bit. She, you know, she she kind of whispered like, "Hey, are you interested in doing a Star Wars thing?" I was like, "Star Wars, yes." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is, but the answer is yes. You know, so. Um, <laughs> But I, I think she found me through some of my other comic book work. Um, and then, yeah, we just kind of connected and, and went from there. Yeah, I was looking at your, your author bio, and I uh, I saw that you were the uh, author of uh, Sarah and the Royal Stars and Run, Love, yeah. Kill. And you did feature in Bitch Planet Triple Feature. Um, yeah. All of which, I think, uh, are award-winning and, and very well-selling, right? Um, I don't know about award-winning, but <laughs> I think they did okay as far as sales goes. Um, yeah, I think it was it was Sarah and the Laurel Star specifically that uh, that Fawn had read, um, and that's that's what um, got her to reach out to me. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars is an incredibly important property and universe for so many people, and it sounds like uh, the based on how you were talking about it, that it, it's been an important part of your life for a long time. Uh, was there like a an inciting incident to your Star Wars journey, like a thing that really got you into Star Wars from the beginning? You know, I was I was thinking about that, um, kind of like my first exposure to Star Wars, and I'm not really sure which movie it was it might have been um return of the jedi i'm thinking oh yeah um and i had a giant collection of star wars toys as a kid growing up um so all all the little figures that were coming out um in the 80s you know i just i had a ridiculous amount of those and um (laughs) i remember watching um i'm pretty sure it was jedi that, that i watched the most because Ewoks are kind of ingrained in my subconscious. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that was that was kind of the first um, exposure, and then um, yeah, when I became like I guess I was a teenager when the prequels came out. You know, we did the whole like midnight showings and all that kind of stuff. So I've always kind of uh, watched the movies. I never 
really got too much into the novels or anything like that, but just uh, the movies were always just kind of a part of my life um, and something that I really enjoyed. And, you know, it's just, it's cool to have friends that are into the same thing. You know, kind of talk about, talk about the stories and talk about the world and just the lore. Um, it's a fascinating universe and, um, you know, getting a chance to play in it a little bit um, was a definite thrill, a lot of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, Star Wars is important to so many people. It was such like a definitive film for so many people at such important ages. When you're a little kid and a Star Wars movie comes yeah. out and suddenly it's all the toys and all the Lego sets, anything that you can, you know, get your hands on. I know that was that was it for us. We were big big fans from a very early age. So it must be kind of um kind of amazing and maybe a little surreal to start working with do you did you have like a contact at lucasfilm or disney somebody that advised you on canon or on um like character design or anything like that did you did you get to um, work with the, those uh some of those iconic people over at lucasfilm no um most of that was done through viz they kind of set as i was writing the scripts they were sending it to lucasfilm for them to review um and i was i was getting notes back but i wasn't working directly with them um but you know it was it was a pretty eye-opening experience too how um they're very they're very consistent on how things are written even in my script no one is going to see other than the editing team and the artist um and i was accident well not accidentally i thought i was supposed to capitalize the s in stormtroopers and they quickly told me like the s is lowercase (laughs) so that's a detail i never noticed really so yeah if you go through the novels um i believe the s is always lowercase um the other thing is that the name of things like droids when spoken um is phonetic so uh a droid like r2 would be spelled A-R-T-O-O when spoken. Yeah. Um, but when not spoken, you can do the letter R and the number two. Um, My so, goodness. So yeah. things like that where they're like, hey, you know, this is kind of how we do things, um, which was which is good to know, right? I mean, um, staying consistent is, is a good good thing to do when you're within this such a big universe right um so it, but it was little things like that that they had notes on um other than that you know i had quite a bit of freedom in um in how i was adapting the novel that's wild to me because i was i was flipping through the manga after you said the the stormtrooper thing especially yeah. um and the manga doesn't have lowercase letters yeah Right. The typeface is all yeah, is all uppercase. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! But you have to make sure. <laughs> but that in you the know. script, it's got to be correct. Yeah, that's right. true. <laughs> uh, that's that's amazing. Um, yeah, and and so there's kind of this this other part of it with the the visual medium and uh, working with Subaru on drawing the art and the way that the characters kind of ended up looking. And there's a lot of like new characters in the manga. Yeah. Um, was that highly controlled at all or was that something that was just kind of coming out of the artist's kind of handbook of of like how he wanted to draw um from my understanding Subaru also had a fair amount of freedom in in terms of how the characters were being designed i did get to see the designs as they were coming in um so i don't know if he had a ton of notes but i remember the first ones obviously were uh shirt and base um and then it was saw guerrera and the Saw Guerrero one, I was like, that's amazing. I love he it. He looks oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm blown away by Saw every time he's on the page. He actually, like, dominates the page the way he should. Yeah. Um, which is just fascinating that he, he, so much of his characters communicated visually like that. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of Saw's uh, patrons, actually, they have assets for that at Lucasfilm. And I don't know if they showed up in the background of uh, Rogue One. They they may be there. Um, I would have to go back and watch pretty closely, but pretty much every character that was part of Saw's uh, patrons um, had uh, photographs of actors in prosthetics and costume. Wow. Yeah, yeah some some of them definitely are. Like I, yeah. I, I did notice a nice uh, a nice image of um, of call him Two Tubes. I don't remember his uh, his full name, but the the guy with two tubes coming out of his face uh, he's definitely in the film <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for sure so when i saw him on the page i was like oh look they 
they included him. They got two tubes. <laughs> they got two tubes. How cool. How close do you get to how do you get to work with the with the artists? You say you got to see some of the the images as they were coming in. Yeah. Um, do you guys how how close do you work during the like planning stage and the writing stage of it? Um, unfortunately, I didn't really get to work with Subaru too closely this time around. Usually, when I do comic book projects, um, I am uh, work very closely with the artists, um, but because Subaru is actually um, from Japan and uh, his um, English isn't great, so my script was actually. Um, translated into Japanese for him for him to draw oh. so there was actually a, a translator so as I was writing you know, we were the script was getting sent to Lucasfilm for approvals and then once it was approved it was going straight to the translator to translate and then Subaru would get it um, so I would have loved to have had a uh, closer working relationship but there was a bit of a language barrier there um, but I think at the end the, the end product still um, looks amazing Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's uh, it's interesting. Was there any like worry about losing anything in translation from the original script to the translation, uh, and then and then back into I guess the final manga format? Yeah, um, um, yeah. I I wasn't too worried about it. Um, my my scripts are I try to keep them pretty to the point um, when I'm writing a script, and I just conveying um, important set pieces that are there, but also conveying the emotions that characters are feeling. Um, and especially in something like manga, where there is a lot of um, reaction shots to to either an action or to a piece of dialogue, uh, which is, is somewhat different from Western comics, where Western comics, there's typically one panel, you'll see quite a bit of dialogue, uh, multiple word balloons in a in a single panel whereas in japanese comics you typically get the one word balloon and there's a lot of kind of like this cutting back and forth between character um uh reactions so um i just made it a point to have um things like you know what a character was feeling or or uh, when, when they're saying a piece of a dialogue or how they would react to a certain piece of dialogue you know um kind of one of my favorite scenes is when Chirrut and Bays uh, went to the orphanage, um, and then when they came out, as all the the stormtroopers are there, and then you know their stormtroopers like, you know, what are you doing in there? And Chirrut's like, where? He's like, you know, playing up, <laughs> playing up the blindness, right? And they're like, in there. He's yeah. and he looks in the other direction. He's like, where? I don't. <laughs> like, you know, and and looking at that, like Subaru just he's sold it um sold it so well and it's when i flip through that you know i always kind of brings a smile to my face yeah i was good. losing it, losing it the whole time basically anytime that chirrut and Baze interacted with anybody i knew that the scene was either going to move me emotionally or move me to laughter like it was uh, so refreshing to see the the art and words combined to make some of these scenes like really pop the way they did it was really awesome um alice i actually think that you should ask this question because it's your question and it's so related to what we're talking about at the moment but do you want to ask about the onomatopoeia i want to ask about the onomatopoeia yeah i was going through and making notes um as i was reading it um and my maybe my favorite two pages in the entire book page 108 and 109 is the middle of a firefight and the onomatopoeia (laughs) is so outrageous and so wonderful. Who gets to do... Do you get to write that? Is that the artist's job to write that? There's a big badoom in the middle of this page and the guns go, tew, 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 tew. Those, no, those and are me. I, I, that's all you? <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. That is fantastic. It's amazing. It's hilarious, uh, it's hilarious because when I was... Um, at first, I wasn't really writing a lot of the sound effects, you know, um, which is typically some... Like in Western comics, is kind of... Uh, in my experience, anyway... My, typically my sound effects are really poorly written and I've had letters like fix them for me where they would just be like no <laughs> like no that's bad let me just let me I know what you're going for let me fix that for you but in this case that wasn't the case they're they're like okay these sound effects like they're yours and however you write it that's how they're going to be lettered I was like oh okay so I actually went and watched uh Rogue One um 
specifically when Baze was using his his weapon because it has a very oh, yeah. it has a very specific sound and it was interesting because everyone kind of hears it slightly differently um but when when his rail gun kind of goes off it kind of has this like ramp up to it it has like a like a re sound first and then it it, it goes mm-hmm. into it right um so i was listening to those over and over again i was listening to clips on youtube of like tie fighters and x-wings and like what they sound like you know and just kind of just trying to figure out how i would <laughs> take that sound and you know how i would spell it out um but it was fun it was it was challenging but it was actually a lot of fun once i kind of settled in like okay these guns go two two you know this explosion goes badoom and it's kind of stuck with it after a while it, it's fantastic yeah the the read like the warm-up sound of that repeater rifle and because he has to carry around the like coolant system on his back yeah um which is so wonderful so when you hear the the and, and even read the vree sound of it warming up that's it, it goes with the like weight and the the like size of the thing yeah and it yeah that it's it's amazing this i <laughs> i did mark this page so specifically i was laughing but in amazement at how like how accurate and fun it was, and then just a couple of page li- pages later, um, the um, page one sixteen when Baze says "Eat your dinner, cheered, I'll be fine," and then smiles, and then it says "smile" <laughs> next to his little smile. Oh I, man, I love that. That is so charming. The and smile that you can like almost hear, like it adds everything to that interaction. Like he's like forcing himself to smile at him and it's really showing even in the sound like of the moment um, in a way that it feels like Chirrut would notice, uh, which is just like, that's perfect actually. Yeah. yeah um, Manga does a lot of that kind of stuff, which I think is a huge strength um, of, of the format. You know, it's, it's odd if, if you were to flip through a, a a Western comic, you wouldn't see something like that. Um, but because of, I don't know, I, I think just in manga, it's, it's just one of those things where they will just write out like a character smiling or if somebody is kind of like crying or something, you would just see the words there, you know, and I think it's super smart. It's They have a lot of really great shorthand um, for storytelling. Yeah. yeah, I think it, it makes the connection between the reader and the emotions of the characters really um like tangible yeah. really like like physically present which is really nice uh i want to talk about how the um how like the adaptation yeah. process um based on greg Rucka's work um it kind of puts you in a really interesting position as a writer where it's it's still your story or the version of the story that you're that you are telling um but um who um did you get to make decisions on uh, things to cut or anything to add or um, like how much freedom did you have in that? And then like what was like a unique challenge or opportunity in the adaptation process? Uh, I was given quite a bit of freedom to just kind of adapt it however I saw fit would, would be best for the format. Um, I have a tremendous respect for Greg's work. You know, he's a comic book guy like me. Um, so I've been familiar with his work for a very long time. So um, I wanted to honor what he had originally written. I didn't want to change it. Uh, I didn't want to get too far away from the spirit and his intention, um, or at least what I interpreted as his intention um, of the story. We, he and I did not have a con- get to have a conversation. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to kind of just, you know, uh, honor the original work. Um, so I try to stick to it by way of plot as as closely as I could. I did make some changes here and there to um, help the story along. Like in the, um, when they're making the plan to uh, get the kids off of Jeddah, um, Saw Gerrera does not show up in the novel in that scene. Um, I had him show up because I felt like having Saw there created um, a kind of gravity to the situation that without his presence didn't quite have you know because i think saw is 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 such a, a powerful character in this story because he's kind of mysterious but you know he he comes with this 
well one like fighters right to kind of fight back against the empire but also a chance at hope right and that's that's really what in my mind Sheridan Bays are fighting for in this is 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 a sense of hope um something that the people on the planet have lost so um most of the changes that you see if you have read the novel is is kind of pushing towards that toward the idea of of giving people hope um and i thought that was important especially with with chirrut being a more like spiritual character um kind of the 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 main spiritual um character in this story um and i felt like he's his whole thing has been about uh if he can't bring freedom to Jeddah, then he's going to bring a hope of some type of freedom um, to the people of Jeddah, you know. Um, so it was challenging at times because there's there's certain things that are in the novel that I wanted to keep, but there was also no space for it um, just because the, this format, um, you know, we're limited by page count. So um, yeah, it was, it was tricky, it was, but it was always finding what works best for the story, what, what hits home the hardest for these characters, you know, where is that emotional anchor and how do we sell those those moments um and what changes do we need to make in order to to make that happen yeah that's, a, that's amazing the i i 100 for the record agree with you that saw showing up at the end there was was very powerful <laughs> um and and definitely belonged in that moment and and the kind of double reverse structure when we're like seeing the plan get made as the plan is being yeah. carried out is also one of my favorite parts of the book um, so it's, it's so good. Uh, and the way that it supports the, the kind of climactic moment here where, where Saw and, and the rest of his party almost become like minor antagonists, yeah. like really quickly. Um, and then Shirit and Baze have this kind of culminating moment where they have to redefine what resistance is going to look like right. for them. Uh, after they've made these compromises to even work with Saw, uh, it, it was it was remarkably powerful to read, to experience. It continues to be an important theme, um, and yeah, it honestly, I, this this book left me going like, yes, this is this is a story about what different kinds of rebellion are in the Star yeah. Wars universe, and I, I I can't praise it highly enough. It, it's well, so good. You. Baze Mabas is such a cool, really important character, and I think that is really exemplified. It's exemplified his like the his honor and his um, that his like lack of faith in the Force, but his um, presence of faith in Chirrut um, is something yeah. that makes his character really special in the film. And I really, really liked how. Um, how well that is visualized and written here. It's super early on page 13 um, where he, they're being yelled at by the guy who is like, who says guardian stand with me. And he calls out to a single guardian and they argue about yeah. who, which one it, it, he means you. Well, it could mean you. No, he really couldn't. And base says, no, he really could not mean me. Like I am not a guardian. And then two panels later physically puts himself between the guy and Chirrut as Chirrut's guardian. Literal guardian. Literal yeah. guardian. And I I love that so much. It was like right away I was like, oh this is gonna be oh this is gonna be really good. Um because I think Baze is a, is a character that doesn't get um he doesn't I feel like he, he is really underrated. Like people don't um, think about him very often or his his various crises of faith and his um, yeah. like what it means to him to be faithful or as to be a guardian um, and um, so the first part of that was I wanted to thank you for that specifically that panel, <laughs> that, that, panel that image that writing so good um, and also I wanted to ask what you thought about Bayes and his like character growth through this story or like in general like like yeah he seems to be really important in this story even if he's a little overlooked in in rogue one was that yeah. um important to you 
Yeah, Baze is, is hands down my favorite character to write out of these, um, the characters in, in this book. Um, he's, I, you know, his kind of like grumpiness and kind of like I'm over it vibe that he gives off <laughs> is hilarious to me because for the most part it's a front, right? Because deep down he really does care, um, even though on the surface he's very just kind of like, you know, I don't want to do this. This is dumb, right? Um, but he as a character, I think that that crisis of faith, the, the fact that we don't really know what happened in his past to cause him to leave uh, the Guardians, um, I find very fascinating. Um, and I feel like there's, within this, um, the Star Wars universe, at least the cinematic universe, there's not a whole lot of characters like that, right? Um, and and I feel like these characters in general, um, along, well, piggybacking off of Rogue One and, and this story, I feel like it gives us a glimpse of war in the Star Wars universe from the eyes of the every person, you know? Um, and I, I find that incredibly important. Um, you know, Rogue One, to me, was was that view of on the ground the things that you have to do in order to win, right? Um, the kind of sacrifices that people have to make. And it kind of mirrors what happens in in real wars, right? Is that we, especially us, you know, um, or me sitting here in America watching footage of wars, it's, we're kind of untouched by it. You know, it's almost like watching it as a movie, but there are actually, you know, boots on the ground, people um, getting hurt and, doing the things they need to do to win and Rogue One was very much that kind of story to me um whereas in the Guardians of Wills um I think it's uh, it's related to war but really it's you know it's about occupation right like the lead up to a large war um and the things that happen to the people the the when you have these um large superpowers moving into a place and claiming it for their own um and what happens right what are the what happens to the people and what do you do to rebel against it and as you rebel against it what are the consequences in in that rebellion right the the stakes keep getting raised in this story um it starts from them just like hijacking uh food and medicine to them like attacking forces and blowing things up, blowing up buildings, blowing up, uh, you know, their, their walkers and all that kind of stuff. And people are getting hurt, you know, and the it's getting larger and larger. And I feel like that mirrors a lot of probably what Baze went through. You know, it's, um, I don't know exactly what happened in his past. I don't know if, if the folks at Lucasfilm have that as part of their canon. Maybe they do. Um, they didn't share that with me. But huh. um, I, I look at it as if, um he's seen the kind he's seen some horrors right there has something happened that maybe he was forced to do something that um he had a hard time living with right and so got rid of his robes and and said i can't do this anymore you know maybe it was something like that um but i feel like this is a natural progression of of that kind of journey for him where it's like you know here i am again and i have to do these things that I don't really want to do, you know, I don't want to hurt people, but what option do I have? Um, and that's such a central part of his character in this story is that he's kind of the one that is willing to get his hands dirty. Not that Chirrut isn't, Chirrut obviously is, um, but I think Chirrut is, uh, maybe has a lot more reservations than Base does. And, um, I think Baze kind of has to be pulled back at one point to kind of like, hey, you know, you have to reconsider why we were doing this in the first place, right? It's not, this isn't a revenge quest for us. We are fighting for something bigger. You know, we're fighting for for the lives of children, you know? Um, And once he kind of comes to that realization, um, you know, it's almost like he comes back to being a guardian in spirit right and um in in action and um you know he sets out he's like okay well we're gonna get these kids off this planet you know no matter what 
no matter who stands in our way, whether they be the Empire or our allies, you know, we're going to do this thing. That's amazing. Uh, I loved the thing that pulls Bays back from that that dark place, from that, like, win-at-all-costs place, yeah. is noticing that Chirrut is going colder about this whole thing. Right. Like, Chirrut is becoming more like him, and that's something that Baze can't stomach, is this idea that Chirrut, who, who despite everything, still believed, um, was saying things like, well, whatever happens, happens. Like, we're, we're gonna still have to do this. Yeah. And and then Baze is like, okay, we actually need a new strategy. We're shutting it all down. We're not doing this anymore. Uh, Chirrut is sad. And we can't have that. Um, and and that, that character relationship being so central to, like, not not just the two of them together, but specifically to what Baze thinks is far enough or what Baze thinks he's capable of. When he notices Chirrut changing, that's what snaps him out of it. Yeah. That's so wild to me and such an amazing character moment. Um, was that something that you felt that you were expanding on or exploring more? Or was that something that, that really came out of the novelization? Um, it's definitely present in the novel. It was actually much more difficult to convey in um, the manga because in the novel, you could kind of have just... Uh, the, that kind of exposition where a character is thinking to themselves or where they're noticing something, you know, you can kind of do that. Whereas in a comic book form, it's a little bit more difficult, um, you know, unless you have a lot of caption boxes all over the place where, you know, you're you're really deep diving into a character's thoughts. Um, but the format of manga makes that a little bit more difficult because um, some of the pages have so many panels on it, right? So you have to be cognizant of one how much dialogue is on the page because if you have too much dialogue you're just going to cover art you know and you don't want to do that right um you want the art to shine so you have to be kind of be very uh your sentences can't be too long if like if you can say it concisely say it concisely you know so finding a way to kind of bring that into the comic um was was tricky because uh you know greg rucka did an amazing job kind of tapping into Baze's um, thoughts, you know, and finding a way to to not, uh, to do it justice, you know, in, in a very different format was, was tricky. Um, but I'm glad you picked up on that, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, it tells me that I did my job. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no, absolutely. You really, uh, really did. <laughs> speak, speaking of the the adaptation process um this is actually fascinating to me that we we had a film that got expanded upon in a novel and then that novel you got to take and adapt into this manga which is in many ways ironically more like a movie right being a visual medium yeah. starting from a script that you wrote um I, I just found that to be like something that felt right for these characters like something that i was almost waiting for yeah like to see these guys interact not on a screen but like in images again um and i i just wanted to know like was that part of the consideration like obviously adapting to the new medium it was was one of the challenges but like were there things where you were like well this action scene like let's really expand it let's blow it up like let's have this little moment where they're eating noodles together, like really sing with through the art. Was that, was that something that you were thinking about the whole time? Yeah, I think so. I was, I was trying to kind of inject um, little moments like that. You know, I also wanted to play up the fact that they are Asian people, <laughs> you know, the types of foods that they eat um, because in the novel, they're actually eating different stuff. Um, and, like some of the stuff is food is scarce so they're eating i think at one point they're eating like insects or something like that um and i actually felt a little weird about putting that in because one of the things about uh asian people living in the west is that the foods we eat 
were made fun of as we were growing up, right? You know, my mom packed me a lunch that didn't, that wasn't sandwiched, you know, like smelled kind of different than everybody else's food. I'll get made fun, made fun of for bringing that, you know? So I was, I was hesitant to kind of lean into some of those aspects of the novel just because um, I think when you're reading the words, um, it's a very different experience than seeing it, right? So I kind of wanted to inject those things where like they're just eating something like a bowl of noodles. It might even be the Star Wars version of instant noodles, right? So, <laughs> uh, because, you know, they don't have any money and there's no food, food to go around on the planet. So right. little things like that, I was definitely cognizant of and try to kind of um, give uh, some nice character moments, you know, where we could kind of see them just being people, you know, and surviving. Yeah, I, I really love the scene where uh, they kind of come home and Baze takes off his armor and washes his hands yeah. and is like, oh, I got a new gun today. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it, it's so domestic yeah. um, and and intimate and is just like absolutely something that I was like, how do Baze and Chirrut normally hang out? <laughs> oh, it's like this. Yeah. Uh, and it, it felt so natural uh, for the characters. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, you know, going in, uh, based off the novel, but also just kind of, you know, my own thoughts about it. It's just, you know, I see them as just, they've been around each other for forever, right? As long as they could, either one of them could remember. And, you know, they're just almost like a married couple, right? <laughs> just kind of yeah, like, they definitely fight like that. Yeah. We, we definitely, <laughs> yeah. definitely have made that joke or that reference more than once yeah. on our on our podcast. They do they do talk like a married couple. They do act and rely on each other like like a married couple. Yeah. Um and their yeah, their relationship is is so close. Um I really appreciate what you said about um about keeping keeping cognizant and like remembering as in in this format and with these characters that they are asian people uh star wars has a long history of um of adapting and uh borrowing let's to to say it as kindly <laughs> as possible borrowing from asian cultures yeah. um and from from costumes and and references and storytelling principles and everything i think it's it's interesting because star wars is now kind of going into that uh, into that world more. This ma manga adaptation, obviously, very um, super important. Di also, they're doing um, Visions, which is yeah. coming out on Disney Plus, like any minute now. I think, which is <laughs> just a um, few weeks, yeah. Um, which is yeah, a different like Japanese directors getting a chance to do uh, animated Star Wars, which is yeah. uh, extremely cool. Um, so it's like you're kind of here at the forefront of like a new phase of Star Wars and Star Wars kind of maybe like re-acknowledging its, um, its, uh, its roots kind of as, as like something that is heavily influenced by various Asian cultures. Um, that's really, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that's my one gripe about Star Wars universe is that there haven't, hasn't been any like Asian Jedis with speaking lines. Mm -hmm. You see them in the background. I think in the prequels, there's like some girl that flies on screen yelling Haya, and that's about it, yes. right? <laughs> it's, yeah, yes, I seem to um, remember that in Attack of the Clones. Yeah, yeah. Pretty yeah. much exactly that, yep. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's the extent of Asian Jedis in Star Wars. You know, um, when I watched Rogue One, I was kind of bummed that Donnie Yen wasn't playing a Jedi, you know, but. Um, all of those things aside, I, I still felt like, you know, there was an opportunity here to really um, do the best I could within the confines of the Star Wars universe, you know, and throw in little things like instead of them eating a, you know, plate of bugs, they're eating some noodles, right? Like when they're in the home, uh, their shoes are off, right? <laughs> things like that, you know, like little things like yeah. that. Um, and just, you know, it. I want to kind of just leave a little touch, a, a little bit of my mark on there, um, even though it's like oh. small moments, but definitely. Yeah. No, that's really great. It's 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 important and interesting, and and I, you did a really good job. I too was disappointed that uh, Donnie wasn't playing a Jedi, but he's pretty much the next best thing, yeah. <laughs> and his relationship with the Force is something that we've talked about, like Chirrut Imway and the Force is something we, yeah, we discuss on the podcast a lot. Yeah. We discuss off the podcast, too. I can't <laughs> seem to stop talking about it, um, and it's it's interesting, um, Rogue One, the, the movie, um, how it approaches the Force is very different from how the other Star Wars movies approach the Force. It's, it, like, 
the force becomes like a ground level, like personal religion to these people, to Lyra Urso at the beginning, to Chirrut and formerly Baze, who picks it back up before his death at the end. The, the, the act of prayer rather than just waving your hands and moving rocks, you know, as it, it becomes like a really like personal, private thing, um, which gives Chirrut the, the power to intuit emotions and almost to read minds. And he, he gets very quick reflexes, but it's all still not it's not supernatural so much as it's his connection to the world and the people around him. And I, I really liked in this story um, his connection to his immediate connection to uh, the character uh, Colby Sperato, mm-hmm. um, who he spots. He like, well, Chirrut, you know, interacts with him and within the first minute of meeting him is like, you can't outrun, outrun your past. It's, you know, this is something you're going to have to face and immediately knows what this guy needs to hear. And he, he leads him, you know, to where, he says, can you pray for me? And he says, no, but you can pray for yourself yeah. and leads him to the temple, um, which is like, it's an amazing character moment for Chirrut. And it gives us an even like deeper um, understanding of his relationship to the force or his like how he, um, how, not just how he prays, but um, how he is like um He's not a priest of the force, but he can act as that to people. He can lead people to the faith if they need him. Um, and I don't know if I have a question related to that. <laughs> I just really, really like that. And I really like how it was portrayed in this story and how it was given a, like a moment of gravity for him to, um, you know, this isn't, it's not a story that just bounces around um, you know, and, and briefly talks about, you know, the force, but it's treated as something that's like deeply spiritual and important to these characters. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think when we look at the Jedi, at least their depiction in the movies, um, their use of the force feels very mystical, right? They, they can, it's almost like magic in their hands. Um, you know, they can, they can convince people to do things. They can open doors by waving their hands and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, where you look at Chirrut, you know, he's unable to do that, right? He's he's doesn't have a command of the Force the way the Jedi do. He can't, I don't know if manipulate is the correct word, but he can't manipulate the Force. Um, he's more, to him, it's, it's, a, it's a practice, right? It's a spiritual practice. And I think spiritual practices are very important. Um, you know, it's... It's interesting because you know I've uh, visited Thailand and I've I've, I've met some um, of the Ajarns over there and the Ajarns are spiritual practitioners of like occult uh, Buddhist arts and many of them are a lot like Chirrut like when you meet them they'll just know stuff about you right they just huh. kind of like <laughs> and they'll just say things to you like like oh crap like you just met me and you're saying this thing which resonates with my life, you know? Um, and it's it's a fascinating thing, you know, people who become so tapped into their own spirituality where they they do have what seems like almost mystical kind of powers. But it's a, it's a thing that I think for them, you know, it's a part of their lives and, and their whole thing is that they want to help people, you know? And I think Chirrut is the same way, right? Whereas he's, he's very direct, um, doesn't pull punches, you know, and sometimes when he says things, he feels like this is not the right time to say that to Like, you know, Bays will just look at him like, you know, really right now? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is the moment you're choosing to do this? But I love when Bays says, uh, he does that. Right. And Chirrut's like, uh, don't apologize for right, me. Right, right. You know, <laughs> like, I do what I want, Bays. Yeah. But, you know, I feel like uh, that all kind of stems from his willingness to or just his desire to, to help people, you know, in ways that maybe they can't help themselves. Maybe they just need some help or some guidance um, to point them in the right direction. And I feel like that's kind of what Sherrod is doing with all these people that he meets, that he's kind of teaching them to pray or, you know, saying the right things to them. Um, and, you know, with the exception of the children, he feels like he needs to take action, right? Because they can't really uh, take action themselves. You know, so I think it all kind of stems from this... Uh, 
it's there's a Buddhist term called metta, and metta means loving kindness. Um, and I feel like that's what Chirrut has in abundance is, is a lot of metta, and he has loving kindness that he is trying to project onto everybody he meets, and that's that's kind of his his drive, you know. I love that. That's so special. That's really, it's and it, it I could feel it even on the page. That's it's it comes across so beautifully. Um, I, wow. I love that. I love it so much. <laughs> there's there's something about the way Chirrut is so direct and so kind that is when you're when you're looking at Chirrut's actions through the eyes of Bayes, which we often are. Um, there's this like Chirrut is chaotic in that you kind of always know how he'll act, but not what that will make him do. Yeah. So you know. Baze is worried about Chirrut because they're being followed by two mysterious strangers. As soon as he catches up to him, Chirrut has made the strangers tea and they're talking. <laughs> and it, it's just like this perfect little moment where it's like, oh, Chirrut, here you go again. Uh, and that's, I think that's exactly what you're talking about with like radical kindness, radical acceptance yeah. that leads to positive outcomes. Um, we, we learned something about the guardians and the disciples, I believe is the term mm -hmm. in this manga, which is that the, the guardians were always better observers and the disciples were better listeners. I think that's really interesting, um, that Chirrut, where one of his main things is, is listening because he cannot see. Yeah is such a bad listener um he's a great observer but not a great listener at all yeah um was was that something that uh was like a big part of like was that a key detail that that disciples versus guardians thing um i you know i'm not entirely sure i remember that was in the novel and it felt like there was some it felt like there was weight behind it, so I left it as it is, as that line, because um, I didn't, I wasn't sure. Um, and from my understanding, like the the guardians, maybe showing up in some of the new Star Wars stuff um, that they're doing. Oh. Um, oh boy, I hope so. So <laughs> I I think there's been kind of like talk about that. Um, so knowing some of that, um, I wanted to just kind of leave it as is and and, and not not mess with it too much <laughs> and potentially... it's, it's a perfect little distillation though like Chirrut knows what's going on yeah. he's constantly aware but he won't be told what to do yeah um, yeah I you know I feel like Chirrut I feel like Chirrut is a good listener it's just that he chooses he, he, he hears and observes everything right but like you said he won't be told what to do um, and I think there's this kind of like mischievous streak about him, you know, like you said, he is, he is kind of like chaotic, right? He, there's, there's a almost trickster vibe to him, um, which is very interesting, right? Because that's, that's also something that's rooted in, um, I guess in mythology everywhere. There's always those, those trickster deities, right? If we were to go to, um, to Eastern mythology with the the Monkey King, right? The Monkey King is a trickster, right. you know, um, but obviously very powerful and and I and ultimately a a good person at the end of the day, you know. And I think right. Chirrut fits that mold uh, very well, you know, where he's kind of has this trickster vibe to him, um, but deep down he's you know he's a good person. He's just trying to do the right thing, but he's gonna do it. Yeah, he's so gonna do it surprisingly well for yeah. for a guy who's supposed to be like a, a spiritual leader, or like a monk. He he is not above playing a joke, playing a yeah, trick. Yeah. Um, and one of our one of our first introductions to him in Rogue One, you're like, is this guy like a like a charlatan, like a guy who knows a couple of force tricks and, and uses that to like scam people? Because yeah. <laughs> it kind of feels that way, right. right? Like he's just on a street corner and like, hey, give me that kyber crystal, I'll tell your fortune. Right. Like <laughs> but but when you find the the truth of his belief but beneath that layer that's i think when when we really get to interesting stuff about the character yeah. even though that that top layer is also so much fun to hang out with yeah. um yeah most definitely he's wonderful <laughs> yeah he's he's a ton of fun to write um such a great character 
That's awesome. I'd love to see you return to writing these characters some more. Uh, yeah, we could a get a, a prequel, prequel, maybe. <laughs> I mean, like, who knows how long before Rogue One this story ends. You you could fit three, four more volumes in between. Oh, yeah. I mean, if if they ever uh, ask me to, to write these characters again, I'd be more than happy to do so. Um, yeah. I have a lot of love for them, and, and they're a ton of fun to write, so... Yeah, I, sure. I hope that someday you are told the secret of what happened to Baze Malbus. Oh, I, I hope so, too. Say. I hope yeah, so, too. Yeah, and as soon as you do, you come right back on the show. And tell, <laughs> us, tell us immediately. I can't believe you would have somebody write a novel and then somebody adapt that novel and have neither of those people know that key character trait, that yeah. moment. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's, must, it's, it must um... be really important. You know, it's got to be coming up someday. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, if I don't get to write that story, I hope somebody does, you know, and I hope I get to, <laughs> to experience it in whatever format it shows up, because I'm very curious. I have my own ideas about it, but, you know, um, I, would, I would love to know what the official story backstory is. <laughs> That's I, it's so wild. Working, working on Star Wars has got to be this endless puzzle of what is known and what is not yet known, what yeah. is secret and what you're allowed to say. Yeah. yeah. How long was it a secret that did you have to keep it a secret for a, a, a while that you were working on a Star Wars project? Oh yeah, I had like NDAs. I had all sorts of things. Like I couldn't, I couldn't talk about it to anybody, you know. And it was, um, it's. I went through this the scripting. It was interesting because I think I was writing it right when COVID hit the United States. <laughs> wow. So wow. When when everything um, kind of popped off here in the states um is when i was yeah starting to write it so those first few months of of quarant you know quarantine and all that kind of stuff um i was just had my head down uh, writing this script which was i was very fortunate because it kept me busy during that time um when when everything was turning upside down um i had something to kind of come back to and focus on um and it allowed me to to kind of just crank out the script and get it done um but it was it was a thinking back now it was kind of a weird time it was just i had i had just come back from hong kong um and we almost were unable to get out of hong kong because wow. the covid was first starting in china um and we were there doing chinese new year and it, all the chinese new year festivities were shut down which is which is crazy for for any community with a large Chinese population so there was no parades everything was canceled and I remember walking through Hong Kong and all the locals were were home I was there with my partner Um, she and I were walking around and the only people in the streets were tourists uh, like us and it was it was if you've ever been to Hong Kong or seen photos or footage of Hong Kong like what it typically is it's similar to the way New York is right there's just constantly Mm -hmm. uh, people on the streets cars and all that kind of stuff but during that time, those last few days before we left, it was just nobody out there. It was like a ghost town. It was so oh, wow. bizarre. And we got lucky that we ca- we were able to come back. And then um, and then shortly after, you know, quarantine um, happened here. And then, you know, I got the green light to get started writing the script. So, yeah, it was kind of wild. That's wow. the, the timing on that yeah. is, is <laughs> absolutely just just bonkers and i'm I, i'm so glad that you had this project and that you were able to bring it to life with such uh, such life um <laughs> i don't know a better way to put it but there, there's so much energy in it and it 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 shows how much this meant to you on the page i think um it's really an incredible like just piece of art and I'm Thank glad you. to have it on my shelf. I'm actually, I'm a teacher. I'm bringing this to my classroom. Oh, awesome. Uh, and what I'm going to make students read it. Uh, high school. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, high school English. So the the idea of having this, you know, the book is rated T for teen. Yeah. Um, I don't think, I don't think it's a hard teen. Uh, like no. it's not, it's not super violent. Like pretty much anybody of any, any age could read it, but it, it's mature right yeah um the the themes are and i'm just excited to share this and be like hey guess what i uh spoke to the guy who wrote this yesterday and he <laughs> says you're gonna love it um, i think uh, um yeah i think that'd be good especially for teens i mean i think the themes in this story definitely 
um, like I said, they are more mature, but I think for, for teens, for sure, they can grasp what's going on and understand the gravity of it, you know, and just, um, you know, seeing, seeing friendships and seeing love and seeing like caring in the midst of chaos and so much hate, I think is an important message <laughs> for people Absolutely. to to grasp onto. Uh, the the target audience kind of being teens um, was that like was that a huge consideration for you in the adaptation process like let's pick and choose those moments yeah. that we want to show for that audience yeah the the original novel was actually made for uh, middle school age so it's actually aged um, so one of the things that Viz wanted to do was to age it up just because the audience for for manga and a lot of manga books out there are more in that young adult range, which is, you know, kind of uh, teenage years. Um, so they definitely wanted to age it up. So I, I tried to kind of play up um, the consequences of war, you know, and things like that a little bit more heavily, um, just because I feel like the target audience um, could handle those those types of themes. And, Most definitely. And had a better understanding of what's going on. And, you know, like I said before, I, I feel like these characters are very much that representation of what happens uh, when war breaks out and what happens to the every person out there um, and the, the kind of atrocities that they have to go through and, and um, what they have to go through just to survive, right? Um, so I, I definitely try to play those things up and just, you know, like the pollution from the kyber mining and the lack of food, lack of water, you know, are all very real things that happen during war. So um, yeah, yeah. So I, I definitely hope that those those came through and, and people can... Um, understand the weight of the situation definitely yeah the, the focus on the orphanage especially right yeah uh, the image of chirrut carrying that rodian kid through the wreckage oh my gosh and then absolutely. dropping him off at the orphanage yeah. absolutely broke my heart the way that little kid's curled up in his arms oh my goodness yeah. <laughs> oh uh, i was it's, devastated it, and it, it it immediately starts to get to you at that point like they're not just visiting a random orphanage it's right. an orphanage of war orphans and they're making new ones yeah. they're not trying to but that's what's happening right right um and i that that absolutely drives it home um uh, really powerful stuff and despite the fact that the ending is happy yeah uh you know that they score this victory and get the orphans off the planet it's not as if this is the end of this conflict right uh and no nope. and that small victory of of doing something other than blowing up a star destroyer but actually helping people uh being just one small step towards the good the, it's kind of overwhelming at the end you go like wow they did it and then you realize oh <laughs> yeah okay. you know it could I... be could be only a matter of weeks before the right. events of rogue one happen and the whole city is just gone yeah all of it i right. and i think that's the that's why it was important to end on a up note you know because we all know what happens next um i think it's it was important to show uh Bayes and shirt have that kind of moment of like we did something good we did it together and yeah. now you know you're stuck with me right <laughs> and you know <laughs> and you know cheers like I wouldn't have it any other way, you know? And I think that moment gives us just that one sense of like, you know, these these two guys, they went through a lot, but they did a lot of good here. And the sacrifices that they will make later in Rogue One, um, you know, it's not for nothing, right? Because they did a lot of good along the way. And this, this story is one of, you know, just one of the times that they did a lot of good for the people of Jedi you know yeah um yeah so yeah i definitely felt like that was an important point to kind of just give us a moment to take a breath um and maybe a sigh of relief until <laughs> until rogue one comes along yeah. and wow. breaks all our hearts right <laughs> yeah again and again <laughs> yeah. uh once a month on rogue fun a podcast story <laughs> um but the <laughs> the the beauty of it is that this is the story of two guys looking for a way to fight back on their terms to make a real difference and rogue one does give them that yeah uh and i think it's it unifies the two pieces it's it's an incredibly solid side story yeah. for these two i yeah. wonder if part of what draws chariot and bays to 
Jin and Cassian in Rogue One is their relationship with war, like war orphans. I mean, Jin and Cassian are both not just war orphans, but child soldiers, yeah. um, all grown up and hardened and sad. And I wonder if that's part of like if Chirrut could, you know, sense that in them and is like maybe thinks about those, you know, the kids that he recently sent off planet and thinks yeah. that, you know, if he hadn't, they could have ended up like these two. These two silly idiots running around <laughs> trying to find Saw Gerrera in the middle of Jetta. Yeah, no, that's why. Like, it's hard to find Saw Gerrera <laughs> in Apparently, <Jetta>. well, <laughs> apparently you have to start a fight in the street to do it. But That's, that's a good question, though. I, I do wonder if Chirrut kind of sensed it, if he can sense it. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I, I, didn't, I didn't make that connection, but that's a good connection. Um, and... We'll just say that's canon now, right? Because <laughs> we can do yeah. that, right? Yeah. We, we, are, we are empowered. That's true. I love it. I love it. I Especially love it. you. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't yeah, have you, any power you have, no. in this. <laughs> I think you do. <laughs> no, and, and if it's not canon, it at least speaks to uh, the compassion that these yeah. two men have for the people around them. 100%. And, and how they try to help in any way they can. And yeah, and yeah that's... Wow, it's so good. <laughs> uh, well, it seems like it's time to wrap up our amazing conversation uh, with our new friend, John. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I wanted to give you a moment, this platform here for a second, to talk about uh, anything upcoming, anything you want to plug. Tell us about some of your other work and where people can find you online. Yeah, um... Thank you for having me. I had a blast talking to both of you. Um, I do have a couple of comic book projects coming out. Um, one is called Search for Who. It is a action thriller that brings together Chinese and Jewish cultures. Uh, takes place in northeastern China. Um, I'm co-writing that with my uh, friend Steve Orlando and um, our artist is Rubin. That's going to be published by Aftershock. Comes out next month. Wow. Um, I also have a Asian cyberpunk. Uh, comic with uh, my co-creator artist Stacy Lee um, that will be published by Vault and that's uh, called Fox and Hair. Um, so if you like the cyberpunk sci-fi stuff um, with cool cybernetic ninjas flying through <laughs> futuristic do. streets, uh, that's what to check out. That one's um, coming out in November. Um, and as far as finding me, I'm on Twitter sometimes, <laughs> just under John Sway. Um, you can tweet me. I may or may not respond, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it'll be nice to hear from people. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, thank you so again. I can't thank you enough for for joining us. This was um, this was really really great. Yeah, it has been a total honor to hear your voice, to hear your perspective on Rogue One and on Guardians of the Wheels the manga. It, it, the very greatest thing that has ever happened because of this podcast is this kind of conversation. I, I'm just so glad. I, I had a blast too. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, thank you. I, um, you know, happy to do it again. And uh, it was really a pleasure to kind of just dig into the story with people who are, you know, fans. And um, it was just a lot of fun. So thank you. Wow, Alice, that interview with John Sway, writer and adapter of Guardians of the Wills, the manga, was amazing. It was so amazing. Oh, I can't, I can't stop gushing about it. Thank you so much again, John, for joining us. If you ever hear this, you were the best. <laughs> Just so much fun to talk to you. This was, uh, yeah, an absolute blast. I felt it was enlightening and, um, and also, um, just really, really nice. Yeah, like just what a what a cool guy to talk to, John. I'm so glad that this is a property that you got to interact with. You have delivered everything I could have hoped for in this manga. So thank you again, and I hope you're listening, and I hope you had a good time in the interview. Um, Alice, we are now ending this episode of Rogue Fauna Podcast Story. <laughs> yes, as we wrap up this episode, uh, let's let the people know where to find us online. Yeah, you can find the show at Rogue Fun Pod on Twitter. Uh, and Alice and I are 
always on Twitter. That's right. I am on Twitter and Instagram and on TikTok at Alice White THP for those happy places. And I'm at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. And speaking of those happy places, uh, that is our flagship show, our other big show. Um, It is our show about theme parks, rides, and attractions and how they are to be thought about as literature. We just published our 50th episode, our 50th big episode. We have lots and lots of bonus episodes and mini episodes scattered therein, but we have finally hit the big milestone of 50 episodes, and I couldn't be more proud of how uh, that is. You can find Those Happy Places and Rogue Fun and all of our other shows on our website, thosehappyplaces.com. Now, Alice, if people want to, uh, you know, support what it is that we do in the podcasting space, if they're listening right now and they're like, Alice, buddy, geniuses. (laughs) They need my support. The best thing that they can do, in my opinion, is to spread the word about the shows that we do that they like. Tell somebody about the shows that we do that they like and that they think others might like as well. Because I feel like word of mouth is so, so, so important to a podcast's growth. But let's say they also want to throw us a little bit of money for the effort that we put in. How could they do that? Well, if they were interested in donating to the show, you can find us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash those happy places is the place to be. Uh, we got bonus episodes. We've got stickers. We've got postcards. We've got buttons. We've got all sorts of fun tiers for every budget. If you want to check it out at Patreon.com slash those happy places. And one of the rewards tiers that we offer on Patreon.com slash Those Happy Places is we read your name at the end of every episode of every show that we do. And it is an increasing number of shows. So it's really good value for that (laughs) tier. Um, But Alice, are you ready to read the list of our outstanding Patreon backers? I absolutely am. And here we go. April L, Oslam C, Charles G, John D, Ian E, Nick H, Joe W, and Kate P. Those are our patrons at the level at which they get their name read out on every show, and I couldn't even possibly begin to thank them enough for all that they have done for us and all of the love and support they have shown uh, through all of the trials and tribulations of the last year and a half or so. Um, they have um, have supported and and loved us, and I, you know, I just thank you, thank you guys. Times have never been super easy, but they've also probably never been stranger than they are right now. So to everybody out there who's still supporting us despite it all, you are all gentle people and scholars. We <laughs> could not do these shows without you. So thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you to our patrons. Thank you to everyone who listens. Uh, And thank you to you, Buddy Duquesne, for joining me um, on this podcast, this crazy adventure of a podcast. Alice, when you said, uh, I've made contact with John Sway, author of Guardians of the Wills, the manga, I said, uh, when would he like to meet? And uh, how can I support you in this? I was so stoked. Um, It has been an honor to do this show with you, and it's conversations like these that, for me, make the show so exciting and worthwhile and one of the best things that we've ever done. So thank you for continuing to be the driving force creatively, academically, uh, organizationally behind the show. (laughs) You are... My best friend and my favorite co-host. Oh, you're my best friend and my favorite co-host. <laughs> um, thank you, buddy, and thank you all for joining us. And hey, Alice. Yeah? Rogue fun. Pulling away. May the force be with you.